0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to Forever Giants, the podcast. I'm Renelle Brooks Moon. In today's episode, I sit down with Dave Dravecchi at the beautiful Silver Oak Cellars in Napa Valley. The story of the San Francisco Giants is legendary. In my years as the official voice of the Giants, I've had the privilege to meet countless players and personalities whose passion for this team is only matched by their love for the game. Their stories are intertwined within the fabric of this team's history. They are forever Giants.
0: And the pitch to Oster is swung on and missed, struck him out, foul tip and held by Terry Kennedy. Strike three.
1: Dave Dravecki's story is one that motivates and inspires people around the world. It's a story of a man who chased his dream until it became a reality. Never the standout, Dave worked harder than most to become a professional baseball player. During his career, he would face challenges even bigger than baseball. Not by choice, but by chance. Dave's story is one of overcoming adversity time and time again. It's a story that he has told thousands of times as a motivational speaker, and it's a story that begins in Youngstown, Ohio. I am so pleased to be joined by Forever Giant, Dave Dravecchi Thank you so much for joining me for this show.
0: It's my pleasure, Renell. Looking forward to our conversation.
1: As am I. You know, we're celebrating the Giant's 60th anniversary in San Francisco and we're just thrilled to have you as our first guest mm-hmm. for this show because although your time was brief with the Giants, your story obviously is is so compelling and mm-hmm. so inspirational. So we're gonna delve into that a little bit and, and talk about your journey. Uh, but first, full disclosure from me, as you know, I'm a Bay Area girl, grew up going to Candlestick Park, and when you were traded to the Giants, my girlfriends and I, my gamer babes and I back then, full disclosure, <laughs> we crushed on you very hard. <laughs> I love it. We crushed on you so hard. You had like movie star, well, well you thank still you. do, movie star, soap opera actor looks. We were very excited to have you join the Orange and Black.
0: Well, thank you. It was great being a part of the Orange and Black, trust me.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh, and, I'm, and I'm flattered. Well, flattered. So thank you very much. I
1: can't be the first one that said that to you. I I don't believe that for a minute.
0: Well, I hear that from my wife all the time.
1: There you go. There you go. At least I think I do. So it's also really super exciting for me and almost otherworldly that as a as a fan of yours, Mm. you know, as a young girl and and young woman that now I've gotten to know you as a community ambassador. We've worked some events together. I've been able to hear you give some motivational speeches. So Mm. it's really this is kind of full circle for me. So thanks again for being being here with us today.
0: Uh, It's my pleasure.
1: Well, let's start at the beginning, because your your story is so remarkable, and you started playing baseball as a child in Ohio. Yeah. Eight years old, I think you started, but you played all kinds of sports, you and your brothers, you said.
0: Yeah, we, um, you know what, we were a very active family. I had uh, four brothers at the time. God bless your mother um oh my gosh uh yes we don't even want to get into that because i can tell you some amazing stories but they were so supportive of us you know when we were growing up as kids um, we were extremely active when you've got all all boys in the household um, you know it's one thing after the other and baseball was something that was just huge for all of us and so we started with that love and my dad was our coach Mm -hmm. and you know what's really cool i look back on that time in my life and you know, one of the things I appreciate so much about my parents was that they were my cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't try to live their dream through me. Um, they really encouraged me to pursue whatever it was I wanted to do. And my dad said, Dave, whatever it is that you choose to do, um, work as hard as you can to be the best you can. Yeah. But he said, you know, more important than that, have fun doing whatever it is. Because life is too short not to enjoy whatever it is you pursue doing. And, and that stuck with me throughout my life. And my dad's still alive at 87. And, and um, I'm just so grateful. When we're together, I'm always reminded of those words that came from his mouth when I was a little kid.
1: What, what a blessing. And yeah, you're both your mom, you say she was your greatest cheerleader, your dad was, you say, your biggest <clears throat> influence. in you becoming a baseball player, they really instilled in you uh, some important values that really served you well throughout what has been a really remarkable journey
0: for you. Yeah, it, it has been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, when you've got your dad there every day, when you're playing this wonderful game, and he's giving you everything that he can, you know, one of the things that was so special, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to play catch, you know, and so I'd sit in the driveway waiting for my dad would come home about 5 o'clock. He worked in a machine shop, and he was dirty. Every day he came home, he was greasy, he was cut up by the steel, the you know, the shavings from the steel, and, and he'd, he'd drive around the corner, and I'd be standing there tossing the ball up in the air, playing catch with myself until he got home so I could play catch with him. And I'll never forget, I would look at him and he'd come around the corner and he'd see me in the drive and all of a sudden his eyeballs would just go, oh no, here we go again. And he would pull in and he was so gracious, he'd get out of the car and he'd say, give me 15 minutes and meet me in the backyard. And that's where my dad taught me. He was the first one to teach me how to actually throw a baseball with control and and to have fun doing it. And so he instilled that love of the game. You know, that's why the movie For Love of the Game, I love so much, Field of Dreams. All those things remind me of this wonderful relationship with my father um, that instilled in me that love for the game that I got the unique privilege of playing at the highest level.
1: What a huge blessing. Yeah, And you took that message with you every time you went to the mound. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things, Ronell, that I think has been so wonderful about my experience is, you know, when I got to the big leagues, I was still, you know, even though I was a big boy, I was still a boy playing a kid's game and having fun. I'll never forget when I was um, on the Padres, uh, Gary Templeton, after two weeks of me being in the big leagues, he looked at me, I was was sitting in the dugout and uh, I was cheering. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs for my teammates. Just going, come on, guys, let's go, man. (laughs) Go get them. Get it, You know, throw strikes. Let's go. And I was just into it, you know, and really passionate. And all of a sudden, you know, Tempe leans over and he looks (laughs) at me like this. He goes, (laughs) Dravecki, shut up. (laughs) Be a professional. You're in the big leagues. Wow. And I was shocked. I thought, oh, my gosh, I always thought this was a kid's game. Right. And I didn't know what to do. And he leans back over and he goes, just kidding. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I was like, Tempe, you're killing me. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's all because of my dad.
1: Yeah, that, that's so awesome. Well, let's get back to that journey. You, you started at age 8, and then you actually throw your first no-hitter as a teenager. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know specifically when it happened, but I did. Um, I do remember at Youngstown State University when I, had, I was in high school. Um, it was my senior year. Um, I hadn't pitched a lot. Mm -hmm. I think I was three and two that season. Um, In Ohio, you don't play very many baseball games, Mm. you know? So my coach came up to me after the season. He said, look, I want to tell you something, Dave. I actually think you have the ability to play at the next level, college baseball. And I thought, well, geez, this is great.
1: Did you think you had that ability?
0: I didn't know. Mm. I was just having fun playing baseball. You know, I was the little league kid, now a high school player. And somebody said, hey, you can go to the next level. I thought, oh, this is awesome. The only problem was there wasn't one university in the country that recruited me. Right. And so I lived in Youngstown, Ohio, and I decided to walk on at Youngstown State, and I played um, for them.
1: You literally walked on, because it was like 20 minutes away from where
0: you lived. 20 minutes away. (laughs) So I get there, spring, spring break rolls around. Dave decides he's going to Florida with his buddies. And the team was having voluntary practices at the gym at the university. Well, I wasn't there. So when I got back after spring break, I went up to the head coach, Dom Roselli, and I said, coach, I'm here, I'm ready for my uniform. And he goes, Dave, I'm sorry, oh. but I gave all, out all the uniforms and we've just ordered a few more because some of you who chose not to be here missed out. I was crushed. Uh-huh. Lesson learned.
1: Yeah. You know, Yeah. I was
0: going to have fun with my buddies. I'll go play catch on the beach. Right. <laughs> Work out on the beach. Right. And so I waited for about a week and a half to two weeks before I got my uniform. We're now playing and we're playing the Akron Zips. I'm in uniform and we get there and uh, he comes up to me and he goes, second game you're starting. It's a doubleheader. I said, oh yes, this is awesome. I get to play in it. So what you've dreamt of? Yeah, what I was dreaming of. I'm in college now and I'm just so excited and all of a sudden I go out and It's a seven-inning game because back then doubleheaders were seven innings and uh, ended up throwing a no-hitter. And uh, it was so cool because uh, Dom Roselli came up to me afterwards, post-game meal at McDonald's. Nice. (laughs) And so we're sitting there and he looks at me and he goes, you know what, son? I think we're going to give you a scholarship. Come on. He said, no, I can't do that this year. But he said, the next three years are yours. And... um, and I just was so grateful. I went home, I told my mom and dad, because it was just really hard to, you know, back then it was 3,000 bucks a year mm. to go to school. Wow. But it was still hard to scratch those pennies together to make it work. And they were so excited. They that must I have was been gonna, thrilled. Oh, they were so wow. excited. And so had four wonderful years at Youngstown State. It was amazing.
1: And then the Pittsburgh Pirates come a calling, huh?
0: Yeah, you know, um, my junior year, really interesting. 7-1, 0.88 earn-run average. I'm leading the nation in Division II baseball. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get drafted after my junior year. And the newspaper in Youngstown was saying, I'm going to go in the top 10 rounds. Well, I got the head this big yeah. about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hot stuff. Right. I'm the top 10 rounder. I'm going to go, and this is going to be awesome. Well, we go into postseason play for the first time in the university's history. Dom Roselli gives me the ball, opening the tournament against Wright State University. To make the long story short, we got beat 26 to one. Ooh. I gave up nine runs, Ooh. and eight of them were earned. And with every run that crossed home plate, Wright State University was calculating my ERA and telling me with every run I gave up. Talk about a humbling experience with many scouts in the stands that were looking to select me in the top 10 rounds. Well, obviously nobody came up to me after that. And so in my senior year, my last game against Clarion State, I went seven innings, struck out 14, gave up two hits, and we won. And there's a Dodger guy there, and there's a Pirate guy there. And the Pirate guy says, we're interested. And from there, um, in the middle day of the June draft of 1978, I get a phone call and my brother says, Dave, I think this is it. He answered the phone. And I go, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I get on the phone and and it's Murray Cook on the other line, the uh, farm director for the Pittsburgh Pirates saying, Dave, you are now the property of the Pittsburgh Pirates and we have selected you in the 21st round. I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Do I get any bonus money? <laughs> Is there a bonus in this? Yeah. And I found out in the twenty-first round back then, <laughs> they offered you a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, there you go. There <laughs> and, you go. And they gave me five hundred bucks a month. But you know what, now I didn't care. I was a major league baseball player. That's the first right. leg of my dream came true. That's right. That's and I'm right. like, here we go, man, I get to show these guys that I'm the next Sandy Koufax or Vita Blue because oh those were my heroes growing up. I know. I and I I love those guys. So you know, that's when I began, 1978, I began my career with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and what an amazing organization.
1: Yeah. Willie
0: Stargell. And, oh, my goodness. You know, and Omar Moreno in center field, and just you, know, you could just up and down the list, and obviously Roberto Clemente being a part of that yeah. organization, Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, and so it, it was just really cool experiencing you, that.
1: You, you have told a story about um, when Willie Stargell came to minor league camp, yeah. and he said something to you that really resonated for you. Can you share that?
0: Yeah, it was profound. Um, spring of 1979, my first spring training in uh, in pro ball. And periodically they would have all the minor leaguers come together and a big leaguer would come and speak to you. And, and I loved it, but when I heard William Stargell was coming to speak to us, I was, I was floored. I was just like, oh my gosh. They, they brought, in my opinion, one of the greatest baseball players in the game to come and talk to us. I'm all ears. I'm a pitcher, but I don't care. I want to hear what this man has to say. And so he sat there and he said a lot of really cool stuff. But the one thing that stuck was he looked at every one of us and he said, guys, I want to tell you something. Every day I wake up and I put this uniform on, I get butterflies. The day the butterflies leave is the day I retire. And I thought, oh my gosh, he has just validated my butterflies because I get them every morning I wake up when I'm in spring training every morning I woke up when I was playing the summer before it was it was there all the time and I wondered is there something wrong with me and when Willie Stargell says it's okay guess what it's like EF Hutton man (laughs) it's okay so that was just amazing to me
1: you were your butterflies were validated yes they
0: were yeah and i needed that real bad oh
1: wow wow yeah. and you mentioned sandy koufax and vita blue as, as your yeah. two idols uh growing up tell me about them and the impact they yeah. had on you
0: well obviously both being left-handed yeah. um I, I longed to be a left-handed flamethrower that didn't happen <laughs> but i both of those guys were um i loved vita's kick i mean way up there yeah and, and Sandy had a unique kick to himself, too, as well. But I, I think for the most part, for me, it was Vita coming in as a young man. I think he was, what, 19 when he broke into the big he leagues? Was a kid. And to be able to do what he did um, just said a lot about this guy's makeup. You know, he was just really focused. Sandy Koufax, I admired him so much for the commitment that he made to his faith on Sundays, not pitching. That's right. I admired so much the way this guy went about his game. So... In the course of my career, you would think, being a Major League Baseball player, I'd have an opportunity to actually meet these guys. Yes. You know, one of the wonderful things about Vita as one of my heroes was, um, I'll never forget when I was um, pitching for the San Diego Padres, we go into San Francisco, and guess who I'm facing? Vita Blue. Of course. My hero is on the hill against me. That's crazy. Against me. Yeah. And so. I won't bore you with all the details because (laughs) we actually ended up getting beat five to nothing. (laughs) But one of the most beautiful things about that story is, you know, for any pitcher in the National League, he's probably more proud of his hitting than he is his pitching. Yeah. And I actually hit a double off of Vita that day. Oh, my goodness. And every now and then I remind him of that. (laughs) However, what I remind him more of is that he was one of my heroes growing up. Yeah. You know, I just love that man. And. Um, he meant so much to me as a little boy following him. And so that was just really cool for me to have that experience. And quite frankly, uh, to lose to Vida was perfectly fine with me.
1: It was an honor, I it would imagine. It was an honor. Yeah. It really
0: was an honor yeah. because I never dreamt in a million years I'd get to face my hero. Yeah. Sandy Koufax. <clears throat> I'm retired from the game. It's 1993, maybe 1994, when they played the Final Four in Charlotte. And I was invited to go and speak to a group of coaches down there. And we were, we were given tickets to the final four games. And it was back when Arkansas was playing Duke. Okay. And so President Clinton was there and all these dignitaries were there and then celebrities were there. And so we saw security all over the Coliseum in Charlotte when we were there. And, and as I'm sitting on one side of the uh, arena and Jan is with me, um, I look over and who do I see? Sandy Koufax. It was back in the day when I had really good eyes. <laughs> and I said, babe, you're not gonna believe this, but Sandy Koufax is right over there.
1: Oh, it's all over now for you, right?
0: It's and over. And she, well, she looks at me and she goes, well, why don't you go over there and say hello? Uh-huh. And I said, babe, I can't do that. This guy was a big leaguer. And th- wait a minute, you were too, Dave. It might be okay. <laughs> so, so she said, go. So I start walking around and I got to the other side. And all of a sudden, this guy in yellow with security in front of him stops me and he says, sir, I'm sorry you can't go any further. And the reason why is because we've got the president that's here, we've got a lot of celebrities that are here, and there's high security. You cannot go into that section. Renell I have never done this in my life, but I looked at that young man and I said, do you know who I am? <gasps> my name is Dave Trevecchi. I pitched for the San Francisco Giants. I was diagnosed with cancer. I was told I'd never pitch again. And 10 months later, I was standing on the mound pitching. Sandy Koufax is sitting over there. He's my hero. And all I want to do is go and say hello to him. This kid's drop by drop, (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, well, buddy, with a story like that, go right ahead. Off you go. (laughs) Off you go. So off I went. I was waiting in line because there were probably three or four guys that were talking to him. Sure. All of a sudden, it was my turn. And I did not know what to do. So I'm standing there, and he made eye contact with me. And I stuck out my hand and I said, Mr. Koufax, my name is Dave Dravecki, and growing up as a young boy, you were one of my heroes. And I just wanted to come over and say hello. Sandy looked me straight in the eye, ronell squeezed my hand, pulled me hey. close to his face and looked at me and said, Dave, how are you doing? I have followed your story. Is everything okay? Oh I was overwhelmed. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, my hero knows about me. And to this day, as you know, I will never forget yeah. that story. Now here's the beauty in that story. You know, encouragement comes in really small packages. It really doesn't take much to encourage somebody who's hurting or going through a difficult time. Those words were words of encouragement to Dave Gerveck. Yeah, Those words were an affirmation of who I am. And you know, in our culture today, we don't have much affirmation going around. That's so true. And we really need to affirm each other more. That's so true. And so I am reminded of that story and how beautiful it is in our life because of the encouragement that I needed at that time. And
1: Jan had to nudge you. You you didn't even to want to go see because him. I was
0: afraid. Nervous? I was afraid yeah. to go talk to this guy that was like bigger than life. I totally understand. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, um, invade his space. I
1: get you. I get it. You I know? totally get it. Yeah. yeah.
0: But aren't you glad you did? Oh, I am so glad. I'm going share one more story yes. with you. Joey Amalfitano. I love him. First of all, he's Italian. <laughs> who, who, you know, how can you not <laughs> love Joey Amalfitano with a name like that? Sure. And so... I'm in spring training as a community ambassador, and they asked me to share my story with all the minor leaguers, and so I went over, and I, you know, I, I pre- prepared to, you know, get in front of these kids, which was extremely intimidating, mm. because, you know, um, for me, uh, being in that area is sacred ground. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a retired guy. I'm not a current player. Okay. And so it was just sacred. I get it. And so you step on that sacred ground and you want to respect it. You want to respect every one of those kids. Of course. And they're from A-ball all the way through AAA and all the coaches are there. And I'm sharing my story. And I tell that story about Sandy Koufax. I'm finished and I'm getting ready to walk out. And Joe Amalfitano steps out of the room for a moment and comes back. And he looks at me and he goes, I've got something for And all of a sudden, out from his back, he pulls out a baseball and he says, here, this is for you. i look down and it is an autographed ball from Sandy Koufax and he is walking away. And I said, Joey, get back here. And he's got tears streaming down his face. I gave him the biggest hug and kiss and said, I love you and you don't know what this has meant to me. And so that today in my office, That ball is sitting on my shelf with all my favorite players. Wow. Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Dusty Baker, Orlando Cepeda, Gaylord Perry. Um, I mean, there's a whole slew of them there. Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonds. I mean, they've got some of the greatest signatures on these baseballs. And Sandy Koufax is right there with them.
1: That is amazing. What a moment for you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another reminder of... The wonderful gift of encouragement. Yeah, Joe didn't have to do that. No, no, and what a special gesture! Just to, I mean, I mean, he, he, he said, You know, Sandy and I are good buddies. I was like, I was thinking, Joey, can I come over to your house when you invite him over? I just want to <laughs> hang with this guy, you know. <laughs> But obviously, I didn't do that because that would have been way too forward <laughs> for me to go. So
1: you have had so many
0: remarkable
1: moments. That's why we were so excited to to be able to sit down mm-hmm. and talk to you because your journey is so <laughs> extraordinary. And then for you to share these special moments mm-hmm. is uh, is is so interesting and and so so very moving. Now let's get you uh, let's get you to the Padres. Yeah. Let's get you traded from Pittsburgh to the Padres. Tell me about yeah. that.
0: That was really interesting. You know, I was um, I was actually working out with the triple a team in the spring of 1981 and you know i was really excited you know triple a baseball you're one step away from the big leagues getting close there's a revolving door with pitchers yep if i make this team out of spring training things are going to look good on top of that pittsburgh's what an hour and 15 minutes from youngstown ohio being the big leagues with the pirates and that close to home would have been icing on the cake perfect and so all of a sudden here i am working out with this club and it was really cool. This this really interesting moment took place because um, about a week before camp broke, a we group of us were all sitting, you know, and after, after practice, you're always talking baseball. And one of the guys in the course of this conversation said, hey, if you never got to the big leagues with Pittsburgh, where would you want to play? We didn't know, and quite frankly, I didn't care because Pittsburgh is all, the only place I was thinking about. Sure. It. And so in the course of that discussion, he said, well, I heard if we didn't get to the big leagues with Pittsburgh, the best place would go to go would be San Diego. We're all sitting there, going, oh, why San Diego? <laughs> and all of a sudden, this kid goes, "I heard if you don't make it to the big leagues with the Padres, they're AAA teams in Hawaii." Oh. And we're all thinking, "Oh my gosh, would that be an amazing gig or what?" <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of put that to bed. Nobody really cared after that conversation. A couple days passed, now there's only two days left for spring training to break, and I'm still with the triple A team. Practice is over, I'm in the clubhouse, I've just showered, I'm ready to go back to the apartment, and all of a sudden, the farm director walks in and calls my name, and I'm like, oh no. I am either gonna be traded or released, and I don't want this. I wanna stay in Pittsburgh. And as he approached me, he said, Dave, we've traded you. And I was so disappointed. Mm. But as I've often said, I can't tell you how hard it was to hold back a smile mm. when he said, we've traded you to the San Diego Padres. There it is
1: right there, right? So
0: you now all I'm thinking is Hawaii, here I come. <laughs> and with that, he looks at me and he says, the Padres are sending you to Amarillo, Texas. And I <laughs> that thought, ain't Hawaii. I thought, where, where on God's earth is Amarillo? <laughs> yeah. And, Somebody said the panhandle, and I said, oh, my gosh, my geography is not good. <laughs> what is that, and where is it? And um, and off I went to San Diego. Yeah. And i got to tell you, Amarillo, Texas, was a sweet, sweet place for Dave and Jan Rebecca. Really? It really was. You know, I went there with a fresh start. You know, here's the interesting thing about baseball. You know, somebody says they don't want you, so they trade you but there's somebody who wants you because they've traded for you. Mm. And so you, there's this really weird transition that has to happen very fast in the in the mind and the heart of the athlete. Mm-hmm. And that's that you're, you're being pushed out because they don't want you, but now all of a sudden you, you remember, but there's somebody on the other side that does. Yeah. And so you move into that space and you go, okay, now I've got to show them I am the next Sandy Koufax or Vita Blue. Yeah. I gotta do it all over again. Yeah. But I'm getting a fresh start, and that's good. New teammates, um, just a, you know, so it's a different atmosphere.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Eddie Watt is our manager. Eddie used to pitch for the Baltimore Orioles. He was a right-handed relief pitcher. Eddie was one of the first guys, when they never talked about cutters, um, that was always a slider. Eddie was one of the first in the big leagues to throw a cut fastball. And so we got to that, to Amarillo, We started the season. I was one and four. Mm. I was supposed to be showing my stuff. Right. But I was struggling. And one of the coolest things about that team was that we were a very close-knit group of guys. We got to know each other really fast. But Eddie and Betty Watt loved us really well. This was a guy that cared about his team, his, his players. Yeah. And so he invested in every one of us. He gave us everything that he could possibly give us to be the best we could be to advance from double A. Yeah. And one of the things he gave me was the art of pitching versus just throwing.
1: Right, I I read that, that you said he taught you how to pitch rather than just throw. Talk about that. Yeah,
0: he kept it simple. He said, Dave, the first thing I want you to remember is (laughs) K-I-S-S, keep it simple, (laughs) stupid. He said, when you go up there, what are you thinking about? You know, when you face a hitter? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I don't really I don't really know you know I mean I'm I'm going up and I'm just gonna try and get him out I guess that's what I'm thinking he goes no first pitch strike split the plate in half if you know he's a first pitch fastball hitter split it in half with a slider oh okay that sounds good you sure they're not gonna hit it he said trust me <laughs> so then he said from there your only other thought after that is get a guy out in four pitches or less. Keep it simple. You wanna stay in the game as long as you can. You're shooting for nine innings. The less pitches you throw, the better chance you got.
1: He taught you the mental aspect of
0: the game. Absolutely. Yeah. And what he did was, what he was able to do was transfer the mental part into this place here. Mm. Because it's with the heart and the mind that work together that you can create this, what we call game plan and passion for what you're going to do in that game. That's where I was able to know and trust my stuff enough that I could get guys out based on the information this man was giving me. And when I applied it over the course of an entire season, I went from 1-4 to 15-5, and and I was selected the minor Minor league league pitcher pitcher of the the year. year. And here's the other thing. It wasn't just me. Because in the Texas League that year, the record for complete games by a starting staff in the Texas League was 46. Mm. Our starting staff, of which three to four guys got to the big leagues, yeah. Mark Thurman, Andy Hawkins, um, Tim Hamm got a cup of coffee up there, Okay. 64 complete games. Get out of here. 64 complete games. One of the coolest things about playing in Amarillo <laughs> was when you hit a home run. Yeah. You got to pass the hat in the stands after the game. Get after, out. And so, so you so we had this game <laughs> against the Dodgers and we were we were losing really bad. And we came back and we tied up and we went into fourteen innings. Mm. 14 must be that magical number. Mm -hmm. We win 14 innings. Aaron Kane comes to the plate, our teammate. Hits a grand salami and we win. (laughs) That kid passed the hat and got more money than he got in his paycheck. That's beautiful. And it was so fun to experience that. But that summer was amazing because what happened was Eddie and Betty created something that when I became a giant became very real for me. Mm -hmm. You see, Eddie and Betty used to have potluck when we were in Amarillo. Okay. And that he would bring as many of the team that, he, that would, would join us, along with wives and girlfriends, and we would all bring food. And we would spend that time together getting to know one another. Community. And he created a family. Yeah. A beautiful family. Do you know to this day I still communicate um, from time to time with his daughter? And check in on how he's doing. Um, It is just amazing what that man helped me to understand about the importance of 25 guys getting along. They don't have to be best friends. They don't have to hang out with each other. But when they're in that clubhouse together and they're between those lines, it's all about them having each other's backs. And it's about creating an environment where we do this together. Not one person is responsible for a win or a loss. We all are. And that was amazing. And that's what I experienced when I finally became a giant.
1: Your journey thus far, and then obviously as it continued on, but as you, as you share your story, we always hear that baseball, the sport, is a metaphor for life. And you're sharing all of these life lessons that you've learned along the way. You're not even called up to the big show yet. No. But look at all these amazing life lessons you've already learned.
0: Yeah, it's, it was amazing. And, you know, the other piece of Amarillo, which has been chronicled really well, and I'm so grateful for that yeah. because, you know, that's where Jane and I became Christians. Yeah. And it was there that our faith, We began this journey um, with our faith. And and, I mean, you know, we'll end up talking about this, but little would we know how important that would be to them when we heard cancer, you know. But it was that element too as well that that really established a foundation for us where we saw the importance of relationship because out of that foundation in our faith was where we realized how important people are and how important it is to love well. How important it is to care, how important it is to encourage, how important it is to see yourself less than somebody else Mm -hmm. instead of greater than somebody else. Well, then you begin to respect your teammates for who they are and what they bring to the table. Exactly. And so that became a very important part of this journey that um, we began together with this newfound faith.
1: You um, established a, a team in real life. Uh, off the field yes it's just as important as the, the team on the field which you know prepares you for the team you need to build in life
0: yeah yeah here's the thing that's really really cool about baseball it's understanding the value of those relationships while you're playing yeah because you never lose them when you're away from the game wow that's the one thing that baseball gives you when the game when you're out of the game it keeps moving forward without you but the one thing it gives you are friends. What a gift. That lasts for a lifetime.
1: That's a huge gift.
0: It is. It, and and to this day, I can tell you, those guys that are still in my life, yeah. they've been a huge encouragement to me yeah. as I continue to live, and yeah. I will never ever ever forget the significance of what that means to me as a result of being a Major League baseball player.
1: Well, let's let's talk about some of those guys and those those teammates and and managers that you've played for. Let's let's get yeah. that call up. To the San Diego oh. Padres, to the big show. Tell me all about that.
0: It was amazing. You know, here I am. We finally made it to Hawaii in 1982. <laughs> there you go. Um, Jan is pregnant and gives birth to our daughter Tiffany, my little princess, who, <laughs> by the way, is still my little princess. Of course. At 35, and has given me two more little princesses. Oh. In Francesca and Georgia. But beautiful. And they're Frankie and Georgie.
1: Oh, come on. And, uh, it know. is.
0: They Stop are, it with the cuteness. I mean, they're the love of our lives. Oh. And, and I've got two little boys too, as well, from my son and daughter-in-law. Um, but, but Jan gave birth to Tiff, and uh, it was just a sweet time in our life. I was playing in Hawaii. Life couldn't have gotten any better. Yeah. I'm now a dad, and um, a couple days uh, after the birth, um, I'm getting ready to go to see Tiff and Jan, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and it's Bob Kluck, the farm director for the San Diego Padres, and he's congratulating us on the birth of our child. And I thought. Oh my gosh this is so cool they care about me more than just being a baseball player right that means a lot right. when you're working for any company that somebody would care for you and so i said bob thank you so much and he said oh by the way i've got some more news i said what's that he goes you're going to the big leagues i said knock it off i said bob seriously dave you're going to the big leagues i said bob i know how much you're a prankster is this a prank <laughs> he said dave you're going to the big leagues i said bob are you serious he said would you like me to call up somebody else <laughs> I said, "Okay, when do I have to be there?" Wow. Off I go. And I mean, I am just floored. I get to the big leagues. We I pull into San Diego a day later. Jan comes 3 days later. The baby's 6 days old. Wow. And she meets me in San Diego. You're not going to believe this, but it was the Motel 8 or something like that, that I got put up in. We're talking 1982 now, okay? Okay. Well, that was
1: fancy then. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that was fancy then.
0: At least I was thinking it was fancy. It was okay. Yeah. But here we are in this hotel, and I'm like, where am I? What am I doing here? Do I belong here? Yeah. But I've got a big league uniform.
1: How about that?
0: And uh, it was absolutely amazing. But I've got to tell you, um, the first two weeks of my career, um, Willie Stargell forgot to tell me, that when you have the butterflies throughout the whole game, oh. it's not a good thing. Okay. And so I ended up, well, it just felt like every time a guy came to the plate, he was Babe Ruth. Yeah. And I couldn't get him out. Yeah. Uh, to the point where one one game um, I was pitching and Dick Williams came out. And Dick was a tough manager. hmm Really tough. But I had a lot of respect for Dick Williams because he knew how to handle players. He knew the players he could go to the press and rip and they'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. He knew the players he had to be face-to-face. He knew the players that um, he just had to say it publicly.
1: Yeah, that's a special, unique dance managers yeah, have to do. Good really managers is. have to
0: do. Absolutely. Yeah. And we had some really good ball players during that period of time, guys like Goose Gossett and Steve Garvey and Tony Gwynn, yeah. some great players. But um, I'll never forget him coming out to the mound. He looked at me, he goes, rookie, if you don't start throwing strikes, I'm sending you back to Hawaii. Oh, my
1: goodness.
0: And I stood there, and I stared at him, and I was thinking to myself, that might not be a bad idea.
1: <laughs>
0: so we're in LA. Jan and Tiffany were there. I go back to the hotel room and she finally looks at me and she goes, Dave, what is wrong? You've lost like twelve pounds. You're not talking. What you love this game. What is going on? And for the first time in my life for now, I looked at her and I said, I'm scared to death. Ooh. I don't know if I can do it up here. And she said, look, you know I didn't marry you because you were going to be a big leaker. I loved you and love you for who you are. She said, you know, if we have to go back to Hawaii, that's not going to be so bad. But let me just say this. Why don't you go out there and just be the best you? You're trying to be somebody else that you're not. You can't be Sandy Koufax, Dave. You're not Sandy Koufax. And by the way, you're Dave Drovecki, and guess who they called up? Dave Drovecki. Wow. So go out there and be the best youth you can be, and if it doesn't work, and we go back to Hawaii, that's okay. Wow. That's okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this huge weight just yeah. dropped off my shoulders. And that night, for the first time in my major league career, I begged for that phone to ring in the bullpen and my name to be on the other end of it. You were
1: ready. You had a whole I new outlook. I was so ready. Yeah.
0: And so from then, you know, it was history from there. I stuck. She's
1: like another coach for you.
0: Oh. Jan. Absolutely. Right? Throughout all of life.
1: All right, your big league debut. The moment you've been waiting for since you were eight years old, nineteen eighty two, as a San Diego Padre. Yeah. Were those Willie Stargell butterflies in that stomach? Was the family in the house? Tell me about that day.
0: Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I remember calling my dad and uh, and he cried. Oh. And it was such a beautiful moment. And uh, they came right out. We flew them out and um, it was just a really exciting day. Um, extremely exciting. Um, and you, know, you never know, because you're in the bullpen, whether or not you're gonna come in or not. But I remember my first appearance, to be perfectly honest with you, many times people have asked, uh, do you know who you faced, your first batter? The answer is no. No. Do you know what team you pitched against? No, I don't. Um, I I was so overwhelmed by where I was at. I have, I, I can't tell you. The only way I can tell you is if I go back or if you had the stats and yeah. you knew yeah. you could tell me and yeah. then i go, oh, okay, that's cool. That's cool. It's like but an out-of-body me, experience it for was. You. It was, yeah. it really was, yeah. and, and, and to the point of, you know, realizing that i um, you know, I was, I was very intimidated by all of this and, and really questioned whether or not, you know, I could do this. Were you good enough? And so, yeah, am I good enough to play this game at this level? Mm-hmm. And so, but that first day, I mean, I have no recollection. Wow. I remember a cab picking me up from the airport and I remember having my gear with me and that's about it. And then, you know, whenever that first day happened, Whatever you say the day was, and whoever <laughs> it was against, and whoever I was facing, thanks, You'll for, go the, with thanks that. for the information. i will go, go with that. It.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, let's fast forward to the following season, 83, a great season for you, and you were named an All-Star that year.
0: Yeah, that was that was incredible. You know, in spring training, Rennell, um I think every year, every spring for me, in USA Today, they had the top five pitchers in spring training and the top five worst pitchers and best and worst pitchers in spring training i was always in the top five worst pitchers (laughs) in spring training and so in in 1983 it was really bizarre that i had a horrible spring but then i jumped out of the gates fast
1: but that happens sometimes that's baseball is crazy like that right yeah
0: it really is and i ended up being 12 and 5 yeah selected to the all-star game and i'm so grateful they do it in the first half and not the second half (laughs) Because the second half I was two and five. Not
1: so great. Yeah. And I ended
0: up fourteen and ten. <laughs> but but man, being in the All-Star game, I mean, you're in the you're in the locker room and you've got guys like Johnny Bench sitting there and Pedro Guerrero. And I mean, all these great players. And on top of that, your 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 buddy Atley Hammacher is there with you. Oh yeah. And you know, and so some of the young guys that made it. It was just so cool. And then on the other side, I get to play against um, Alan Trammell, and I get to play against uh, Jim Rice. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the great names. Dave Winfield. Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculous. And yeah. It's, and here I was, and, and I go out there, and I pitch two scoreless innings. And my claim to fame in the 83 All-Star Game is that I struck out Freddie Lynn and George Brett. And George Brett, to this day, denies it. <laughs> and the reason why I know he denies it, I was at a speaking event for Weaver Popcorn. I'll never forget this. (laughs) Weaver Popcorn is the popcorn that is sold by the Boy Scouts. Okay. And so Mr. Weaver actually invited me to uh, speak for his company. And while I was there, George Brett was actually at the hotel. No. And he happened to be at the front desk with Mr. Weaver. And Mr. Weaver says, hey, Dave Dravecki's in there telling stories about how he struck you out. There's actually a video where it shows him throwing a fastball, and you and it's strike three. And George looks at him with the <laughs> straightest of faces and says, that was not strike three, that was strike two, and he didn't strike me. <laughs> you go back and tell David. That's beautiful. So my claim to fame is George Brett and uh, Freddie Lynn in That's, the All-Star game. It's
1: a but, good thing you got Freddie Lynn, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> then, then he was dangerous, yeah. Yes, he was very dangerous. Yeah. And But what a great honor to represent your ball club. Uh, Terry Kennedy and I were the representatives from the Padres. Yeah. And, it was just a really, really special time. It was in, it was in Old Kaminsky Park. Yes. My my dad came and my um, my mom and and uh, my brother, my baby brother, who at the time was probably two or three. No. And um, there's like, 20 years difference between the two of us. Wow. And so he got to experience that. So it was just really, really cool. 83 was a was a fun year. Yeah. It was a fun year.
1: Yeah. Well, let's move on through, through your time with the Padres and. Uh, yeah. Some of your teammates, and actually you and uh, Bruce
0: Bochi were teammates. Yes, we in were in San Diego. Talk a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, Buckethead caught me. Buckethead. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, everybody knows about the size of his head, and back when we played, he was Buckethead. <laughs> <clears throat> I remember in spring training, we roomed in uh, uh, Palm Springs uh, for a couple of days, and man, all he would play was. sweet home alabama over and (laughs) over and over again and i was like bruce come up with some different music man and i wasn't a big music fan so i didn't lose any sleep over that right but we had a great time and i always thought you know he's just really quiet he's just a really quiet guy and uh and yet he was really cerebral very smart behind the dish called a really good game he didn't catch me very often as he says, TK was the starter, Terry Kennedy, mm-hmm. and so on Sundays he would, you know, he would uh, fill in, and so anyway, uh, just have a, had a wonderful, wonderful time with, with Boach, but you know, Tony Gwynn and I came up together.
1: Oh my gosh, I, I just, one of my faves of all time for so many yeah. of us, please tell me about Tony Gwynn.
0: He's amazing, um, he and Alicia Um, We're in Amarillo, Texas when Jan and I were there. So he was a part of that Eddie Watt team Mm -hmm. when Tony first came to us Everybody was there's this big hoopla over Tony Gwynn You know number one pick and he's racing through the minor leagues and he's making a stop in Amarillo And he comes in and and he goes to the outfield to right field and they start hitting him fly balls and ground balls And he starts throwing and we're going What is this? (laughs) You pick this guy in the first round, are you crazy? I mean, he'd go get the ball, and the next thing you know, it would come out of his hand, and we're like, come on down, come on down, come on down. And he's trying to throw it to second base, and he's not getting it there. Yeah. He can't get it to third, he can't get it home. Wow. And we're like, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? Who's this guy? All of a sudden, they start taking batting practice. Uh oh. And we're all shagging, and the next thing you know, we hear, whack, <laughs> whack. Whack! And we're racing around the outfield shagging balls off of Tony Gwynn, and we're all going, we can care less about his defense. Yeah. This is awesome. We got offense, man. And one of the most amazing things about Tony Gwynn was he had the most incredible work ethic of just about any player I have ever known. That man, when he got – the next year, we both got to the big leagues. But in spring training before he got there, do you know what he did? He went specifically to Tom House the pitching coach in our organization, who was Nolan Ryan's personal pitching coach towards the end of his career. Tommy was asked by Tony to help him throw a four-seam ball from the outfield because he kept grabbing it with two seams and it would dance all over the place and he never had the accuracy that he wanted. He spent that whole spring, Ronell, learning to throw out of his glove from Tom House a four-seam fastball. And all of a sudden, how many gold gloves later? hmm I mean, this kid was amazing. When he got to the big leagues, he was not the same guy we saw a year earlier. Right. And then he'd go down and take 150 swings before batting practice even started. This man would work on every aspect of his hitting and fielding that you could think of. And then when it came to running, he never had to work on any of it. Mm-hmm. Because this guy had such natural instincts for the game that um, his moving from first to third or from a base hit that looked like a single to second was just based on the God-given talent that he was given and those instincts that he kicked into gear. When he crossed between the lines, that man was a pure baseball player.
1: His work ethic was legendary, and I know a lot of players even respect him more for who he was off the field than on the field.
0: wonderful human being wonderful he and his wife both they were just sweethearts and they were wonderful to be around obviously in spring train I mean in um, Amarillo Texas when we were with Eddie Watt uh, Tony and Alicia were one of the couples that would come and you know for us it was always great because you know if you're eating dinner with your wife in the minor leagues it's one meal and it's maybe a hot dog (laughs) and maybe some mac and cheese if you're lucky okay but when you had the potluck night everybody brought something Mm -hmm. and so we all love that and that fellowship around that table was wonderful and Tony and Alicia were a part of that um you know as a major league ball player his well he's Mr. Padre his involvement in the community speaks for itself yes who the man was this is the thing that I am for me uh this is the most most important aspect of life no matter what you talk about of
1: course
0: it's not about what we did or what we do it's about who we are yeah you knew who Tony Gwynn was. And the
1: relationships that you formed. Yeah. yeah.
0: And the power of of Tony Gwynn was in the person and his love for the game and his love for people. And he and his wife did that well,
1: yeah, really well. Yeah. And
0: so it was an honor and a privilege to be a teammate of Tony Gwynn's, um, along with some other incredible characters on that baseball team yeah. in San Diego, <laughs> like Kurt Bavacqua and Champ Summers. And, you know, and then you had Steve Garvey, who was... You know, Senator,
1: right? right, And
0: and then Sweet Tony and Gary Templeton, one of the smoothest, smooth. You you actually looked at Tempe playing shortstop, and you wondered sometimes if he really cared, (laughs) because he was so smooth, so smooth, and so quick and so good that he didn't have to put in the effort that most players had to put in because he was that good,
1: naturally gifted. It looked so easy for him. Yeah, Yeah, one of the best shortstops
0: I've ever played with.
1: So good times in San Diego, you're living the life, you're living the dream. You and Jan are even thinking about your future and settling in San Diego, what you're going to do after your playing days are over and being a part of the community. And here we come, July 4th, 1987. Yeah. And you get traded to the San Francisco Giants, you and Craig Lefferts and, and Kevin, Mitchell. Kevin Mitchell. All right.
0: Yeah, incredible. Um, you know, uh, another one of those moments where you're traded, which means they don't want you. And so it was It was really bitter when we walked into Larry Boa's office after b- playing a game in Montreal, and and Larry said, Dave, um, go get uh, Kevin and, and, and Lefty, and, and I want to see you guys. And so I did, and we walked into his office and sat down, and he looked at us, and he said, guys, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. We've traded you to the San Francisco Giants. And and we were all shocked. Mm-hmm. The three of us just sat there, and we didn't know what to do. Wow. And, and Kevin was... Really upset, was he? Yeah. Because he was born and raised in San Diego. Exactly. And he was so upset that he didn't want to go.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he thought he would end his career there too. It was
0: amazing, and so it took everything for Craig Lefferts and I to convince Kevin to get in the cab with us to go to the airport the next morning. Yeah. Because he did not; he was ready to go home. And so we literally had to persuade him to get to the airport with us and fly to Chicago. To join the club in Chicago. How would you
1: finally end up convincing him?
0: Um, we, we, I think it was a matter of just words that we hoped would be an encouragement to him to realize that even though we're not wanted here, somebody else wants us. Yeah. And and the other thing was just praying a lot that he would actually hear it and get <laughs> in the car with us. It was like because it was Boogie Bear. Yeah. And you didn't want to mess with Kevin Mitchell, man. Absolutely not. You're one tough hombre. That's and right. So we were very That's right. very gracious and yet tried to be as firm as we could that we have no choice we've got to go mm-hmm. cool. yeah so we finally arrive in Chicago and when we get to the clubhouse um, Mike Kruco stops us and and looks at us and says gentlemen welcome to the San Francisco Giants Giants you are the final pieces of this puzzle we are so excited to have you with us and with that Murph comes up and says hey Hum Baby wants to see you. Roger Craig wants to see you up in his office. Uh-oh. So Lefty and and, and, and Kevin Mitchell, if, is it okay if I say Boogie Bear?
1: Yes! Okay,
0: so the, boogie bear, <laughs> so the Boogie Bear and Lefty and I head up to Hum Baby's office. And when we get in there, Al Rosen's there, Norm Sherry, and Roger Craig. Wow. They tell us to sit down. And all of a sudden, um, Al Rosen looks at us and just says, Gentlemen, welcome to the San Francisco Giants. And Hum Baby then says... You guys are the final pieces of this puzzle that we have been building, and we are so excited to have you as a part of the San Francisco Giants. Wow. And we're ready to go now. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. And I got to tell you, it felt so good because, you know, here was this bitterness over being, you know traded by this organization i thought i was going to spend the rest of my career sure, in, but sure. now i'm a giant and after hearing those words it's like i could care less about anything that happened yeah. back there i am now a giant and gosh Renell, i've got to tell you i had a horrible first half i was three and seven and i don't know exactly what my numbers were for the second half but i pitched so much better mm-hmm. and part of the reason why was because i love candlestick park And I loved it when I was a Padre because every hitter hated hitting in Candlestick Park. And Hum Baby said, when we get back home, psychologically, you need to remember, Dave, this is our grounds. These these elements are for us, and they play in our favor. And I looked at him, and I said, Hum, you need to know something. I've always loved pitching here. You don't have to worry about that with me because, man, that second half of the season, Mm. I pitched my best best baseball and we go into this um into the playoffs against the cardinals and you know game two um you know i get to start against john tudor one of the best left handers in the game at the time yeah and uh you know i throw a a two-hit shutout and man it was so exciting just on the mountaintop and and i'm i'm a giant and i'm beginning to learn a little bit about the history of this organization i've got teammates like atlee Hamaker that i knew scotty garels brett butler um you had uh, the Hackman. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could just go up and down the list of the players Matt on that Williams, team. Robbie, Robbie Thompson. Thompson, sure. Yeah, I mean, just amazing. Bo Mel, behind the yeah. plate and Bob Brenly, and, I mean, just an incredible team. Jose Uribe Rubi- Rubi- at mm-hmm. shortstop. And, that was a
1: that was a special time, that Hum Baby era. And you, yeah. you guys, the 87, 88, 89, you guys were widely regarded as, you know, one of the great teams of, in, in Giants history. Yeah,
0: that was just a really, really cool, cool team. Yeah. Really cool team.
1: Well, talk about the legend that is the Giants and and putting on that orange and black and all the history that comes with that, you finally are settling in and now you're really understanding what it means to be a Giant,
0: yes? To a degree, Mm -hmm. to a degree. Um, While I played, one of the beautiful things that helped to enforce that was in spring training in 1988, Willie Mays hung out in the clubhouse a lot.
1: Which he still does today. I know. It is
0: absolutely amazing. At 86 years of age. And as sharp as he is, it just breaks my heart that he can't see well, I know. Um, I if know. at all. I know. Because if he could, oh my gosh, there'd be nothing stopping that guy. Yeah. He's unbelievable. But to have him come into the clubhouse and get all over the pitchers as we sat there. Um, with our ice packs all over us, <laughs> and he'd walk in, and he would just be reaming us up one side, and down the other. Just you butts guys and chops are a bunch of sissies. <laughs> and I mean, we just loved every minute of it because it was Willie Mays. Yeah, you said he really used to get on Atley Hammaker a oh, lot. All the time, <laughs> he got on Hambone all the time, and Atlee and him used to go back and forth, John, at each other, and obviously Willie would always win, and uh, and Atley loved it because this guy, this guy is. San Francisco Giants. Absolutely. And you know, um, in my humble opinion, um, back then, being able to hang around him has made me realize today, now looking back, just how special that was. You really can't appreciate something until you're out of it for a while and you get a chance to look back and experience it, which is what the Giants have given me the opportunity to do as an ambassador, to experience it once again and become a part of that family and and now I know the significance of what it means to be a giant because, um, because of the the history, and the tradition, of an organization that has maintained the integrity of a game that is the great American pastime, mm-hmm. and it and it's with guys like Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and Orlando Cepeda and Juan Marichal Gaylord. and the Barry Bonds yeah. and Bobby Bonds yeah. and. You know, and the Rich Aurelias, and the Rob Nens, and the J.T. Snows, and the Robbie Thompsons, and the Mike Krukos. I mean, you keep you can go from from decade to decade to decade to yeah. decade, and 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 understand why this organization is so amazing, and it and for me, it all starts with the greatest baseball player that's ever donned a uniform, yeah. and that's number 24.
1: How lucky are we? Oh, right. Yeah. How lucky are we?
0: Yeah, you've used the word blessed a couple times in our conversation together. I feel so blessed to be a part of something that is so much bigger than any one person, but understanding that it's all those people that make who the San Francisco Giants are. You know, Willie McCovey celebrated his 80th birthday this year. And it was a privilege to be invited to go to his birthday because I'm a Willie Mack recipient. Yes, you are. And I gotta tell you, Rennell, there's no greater honor than being honored by your teammates with what I think is the most significant award that any player can receive. And it's not because of anything that Dave Dravecki has done but it's all about who Willie McCovey is. Mm-hmm. And he was a great baseball player, but in my mind, he's an even greater man. Mm-hmm. He really is. And and I have had the privilege of just barely getting to know this man, but just spending time with him, I walk away feeling so much better about yeah, life. sure. Um, because he's so humble. Yeah. And he's always talking about how great Willie Mays is. Yeah. And you know what? He was great, too. Yes, he was. He was great, too. Yes, he was. And he means so much to this organization. And, you know, those guys, those guys are the ones that started this thing. You stand on their shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Well, they literally carry us. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> and it's because of them... That I think we get the unique opportunity. You know, it's the it's the understanding and the foresight of Mario Eliotto and Larry Bear oh, yeah. to see the significance of the past in this organization and how powerful that is, as the the present is being played out. Yeah. And and to bring those two things together, all that can do over time is to continue to create these generational fans that go into the future. And that is one of the uniquenesses of the San Francisco Giants and being able to hold on to that fan base because they understand the significance of who they are as an organization over 136 years. That's right. That's right. right. And to be a part of that.
1: Generational generational fans, that fan base, you see it still today at games, three, four generations of a family at the game and passing that tradition down. My mom was pregnant with me in 1958 when the team moved here from San Francisco. So it was passed on to me in utero, if I may say that. (laughs) If I may say that.
0: Absolutely. But
1: that's why it's such a unique fan base, as I know you experience as a community ambassador going out and and meeting the fans all the time. There's such a very special and rich connection that our fans have to this team that you can't say for other franchises, and you speak to that.
0: Absolutely. You know, there's another name that I want to mention. Will Clark.
1: Oh, the thrill.
0: Yeah. He was a teammate, and I'd take nine Will Clarks any day. Mm. And I guarantee you, I'll compete with you through the whole year. And you're gonna have a heck of a time beating me in the World Series.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, it's guys like Will, um, guys like Atlee uh, that still stay connected. You know, I'll never forget, I'll never forget, Rennell, when Will um, actually, about a year and a half ago, sent me a text And he said, you know, Dave, um, he said, I I was coming across this rummaging through some stuff and I thought I'd share it with you. And it was a photo of Will and a group of guys behind him in the dugout in Chicago um, after I'd started going through my stuff. And what they had done is they had written me a note and Will had taped it to the um, handrail on the dugout going out to the field. And it was just a reminder that these guys were... Um, wishing me well and praying for me and Will was standing right there next to it and he said I thought you might like to see this and I looked at over the text I sent back a text oh my gosh this is amazing because what it reminds me of is the community of baseball players that I love so much that meant so much to me during a difficult time would you please send me a copy and he said, absolutely. And about a week later, I got the copy of that. That wow. was just, I was like, Aww. oh.
1: that's so special. Yeah,
0: really special.
1: All right, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, 1988, opening day. Yeah. You're, you're, you're on top of the world. You're 32 years old. You're yeah. a San Francisco giant. You're the opening day starter. Yeah. You've got a beautiful wife and, and family. You are on top of the world. You are living the dream. Yeah. Tell me about that opening day start.
0: It was amazing. You know, you can't paint a better picture. You got Chavez Ravine, Dodger Stadium, Dave Dravecchi versus Fernando Valenzuela. Come on. I mean, it was amazing that Classic. day. Yeah, God, and we won 5-1 to one that day. I hit a double off of Fernando. He threw me that lazy screwball, and he hung it up, and it went off of the right center field wall. And I mean, I was so fired up, and we win, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to win 20 games. Yes. And all of a sudden, by September, I'm notice, noticing this lump on the outside of my left arm. So and,
1: you discovered it. Yeah.
0: Um, and it was, it was obvious by this time. It had grown to about half the size of a golf ball that was sticking out of my arm. Mm, so Jan and I um, were in an examining room waiting for the doctors to come back to tell us what they see on the MRI that I just had. Before they get into the room, and our door was open a few inches, um, they put the films underneath the lights, and they examined it first to confirm just to be on the same page as to what they were going to tell us. And I'll never forget hearing the word cancer.
1: Had you and Jan maybe even thought that could have been a possibility? No. Not at all?
0: No. We were thinking this was scar tissue from throwing the baseball so much. You tear muscle fibers, and they can calcify. It's kind of like blockers' bruise in football. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we were thinking. And now all of a sudden we hear cancer, but they're not in the room yet. And so I just looked at Jan in those brief seconds that we had and said, We need to pray. And, and I don't wax eloquently when I pray, so I just said, God. Nobody
1: does, it's yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's beautiful to know that God's okay, that you don't have to wax <laughs> eloquently. Trust me, because my prayers are really simple. And this prayer was, God, I have no idea what we're about to face. But whatever it is, please give us the strength to endure. Yes. The doctors come in, they confirm, in fact, that I have cancer. I hear that, and then I go into a totally different space. I am there physically, but I am not there mentally. And all of a sudden, now I'm thinking about the things that matter most. I'm thinking about life. I'm thinking about death. I'm 32 years old, and I I am now hearing the word cancer and thinking I'm coming face-to-face face with my own mortality. And the first thought that came to my mind was, oh, my gosh, if I die from this disease, who's going to marry my wife?
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And then I thought, that wow. person's going to be... I'm the one that raises my kids. Mm. And then I thought, oh, my gosh. Will this guy love them as much as I do? Oh. But then, you know what, Renell? The next question came in, and I was overwhelmed by it. Will this guy love them more than I do? Mm. Oh my because I know who I am. Yeah. And I haven't been the best husband. I haven't been the best dad. And, you know, and the game gets you caught up in stuff. And, you know, and and, uh, it doesn't matter um, where you're at in life. This stuff just comes at you. And when it comes at you, it affects you. You know, you're having a bad day at the ballpark. You know, sometimes you bring that stuff home. And so, you know, it was a real gut check. What are the things that matter most in your life? All
1: of that came rushing to your mind. All
0: of it came rushing to my wow. mind. And then all of a sudden, I came back to earth. I was in that room, and I heard the doctor say, outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. Mm. And Jan asked them to say it two more times. Oh, did she? Yes, she did. It was almost like a test. Are you sure? Right. Outside of a miracle, he'll never pitch again. Like, you don't know my husband. Um, but when I heard those words, I thought to myself, well, you know what, God? Uh, the doctors can tell me that, but I don't know what the end result's going to be. So, you know, I want to focus on my health. That's very important. But if I get to a point where I can actually start trying to come back, I am going to try because I don't want to walk away from this game and wonder for the rest of my life. What if? Yeah. Could I have been able to do the comeback? Right. I didn't. That's not Dave Dravecki. Right. I don't live my life that way. Right. So we're going for this. And I got to tell you, that 10 months was so hard. I ran into more walls and got bloody noses than you can shake a stick at. But 10 months after that, on August 10th, 1989, I am getting ready to stand on the mound in Candlestick Park, and when the doctors said outside of a miracle you will never pitch again, I was going to pitch. There you were. And I gotta tell you, that moment was overwhelming.
1: I can't even imagine. I mean, what was that day even like for you? Could you like, was the clock like moving really slowly? I mean, could you not wait to get on that mound?
0: You know what, Um, as I think about that question, I don't know why, but I didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on. It was, it was another day in the life of Dave Derecki as a Major League Baseball player. That's
1: amazing to me.
0: <laughs> and I walked out the tunnel, and what flipped the switch that this is something bigger than that, Dave, uh-huh, uh-huh. was when there were so many people down there from the press in the oh. bullpen. The bullpen was packed. It was like
1: postseason yeah, media, right? It was. Yeah. It was
0: like World Series. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is just regular season, guys. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. This is something special. So I'm standing on the mound and Terry Kennedy's at the other end. And I look at TK and I go I start patting my heart with my shirt. Mm. And he looked back at me he said me too. Oh my me too.
1: god, just Peter. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like
0: this is this is intense. Yeah. So I warm up and I and I and I go and I sit on the bench and I'm ready for the game to start and I remember walking out onto the field and standing on the mound and all of a sudden 34,000 people gave me a standing ovation and i look behind me and i see welcome back dave and i was like oh my gosh god you've given me a second chance my dreams not only come true once but twice you I'm were able to in. take
1: all that in in that moment in you that were able moment. to be present in all of that in that yes. moment that's amazing it was
0: amazing and and the first thing i said was thank you thank you and i was overwhelmed by that and all of a sudden the umpire said play ball and all I was thinking was, I need to throw a ball so they can get the ball and <laughs> take it out of the game. <laughs> Nobody thought I should pitch. Right, right. And I'm sitting, I'm standing oh. there on the mound and I'm going, how, how can I get the ball? Oh. So the first pitch was a ball. I do remember that yeah. pitch.
1: Yeah. And yeah. the first
0: pitch was a ball. And then from there, I threw 92 pitches, eight innings. Yeah. And we defeat the Cincinnati Reds 4-3. to three.
1: Yeah, not only did you pitch, you pitched brilliantly Okay, in uh-huh. your comeback game.
0: Thank you. I And, I and Roger Craig that. said
1: that he didn't even manage that game. He just stood there and watched you in awe. <laughs> yeah, I, How about no, that?
0: The hum baby. Yeah. Uh, that was a really special day. Having Terry Kennedy behind the plate mm. when the winter before, he wasn't with the club and they actually made a trade for him. And I told my wife when that happened, and I was still in my comeback mode, I told Jan, I said, Wouldn't it be something if I was actually able to make this comeback and TK was my catcher?
1: Come on. Come on. And
0: on that day when I went into the office to talk to Roger, I had never done this. I never requested a special catcher. Right. I went in and I said, "Hum, baby, I want to make sure TK's behind the dish today. He didn't say a word. He took the lineup card, pushed it up to the front of his desk, and he pointed. And there I saw Terry Kennedy. And I was like, Yes.
1: I mean, you can't even script this, Dave Dravecchi. No. You cannot have scripted that any better.
0: No. uh-uh. All
1: no. right, so you, it pitched, was you pitched this gym post-game. What's going through your, through your mind? Did you celebrate? What What happened that night?
0: Well, the press conference was what was really profound. Mm. Because I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was a little boy, Alex Valachos, who was battling leukemia. Yeah. And I had met with him and done a press deal for his parents, at Stanford Hospital so that they could get the word out for people to come forward and donate blood. They needed a bone marrow donor. And i never forget visiting with him. And he wasn't very enamored with me. You know, he didn't know, he's six years old. The little guy didn't right. know. And yeah. mom and dad were just so grateful that we could publicize this. And yeah. it was Dave coming back from cancer. We want Alex to come back from cancer. And yeah. it was so cool. But on the way in that day, I have to tell you on the way in that day, I turn the radio on and KNBR is saying we're going to have this deal where we're going to help Alex and his parents by asking the community of San Francisco to donate money for every pitch that Dave throws. You talk about pressure. pressure. So now, post-game, I'm in the interview, and I'm holding Alex oh, in my arm. Yeah. I have the photo of that sits in my office to remind me every day of this incredible story that launched us into something later in life. But in that moment, um, uh, I realized um, that, man, I was so grateful for the chance to be back on the hill. And I was so grateful that over $200,000 was raised for this little boy. And quite frankly, Ronell, the bigger story in this comeback story was not my comeback game, but it was a story of Alex Balajos yeah. because he lost his life yeah. a year later. But as a result, some 7,000 people in the community of San Francisco and the surrounding Bay Area came forward. And the last time that I talked to his dad, over eight people, through that blood drive, lives were saved. That is profound. And so standing there that day reminds me of how... um, you know out of ashes can come beauty
1: absolutely out of darkness comes light yeah and when you yeah. are blessed you're able to bless others and yeah. look what your experience did and continues to do for so many others
0: yeah that's it's the beauty just, of life it's been amazing yeah. it really has and you know in five days later mm. you know I mean after this incredible game I'm in the sixth inning against the Montreal Expos and I rear back and throw the fastball that um people have said was the crack heard around the world
1: but before you before you pitched that night yeah you had a meal with your teammate bob nepper who yes. said something incredibly profound to you yes he did Talk to me
0: about that. Yeah, I'll never forget this because, you know, pregame meals are really important for pitchers. Sure. You know, you want to get your carbs in, and I'm a huge Italian, so I'm going to have my pasta. <laughs> That's right. And there were some good pasta By restaurants. By the way, can we
1: get some pasta ordered for <laughs> Dave later? Thank you very much, crew. <laughs> no,
0: go ahead. Um, so um, Bob and I are sitting there, and we're talking, and he goes, Dave, I, I I hate to burst your bubble, but this is not about the miracle of the comeback. This is the miracle, about the miracle that took place in Amarillo, Texas when you met Jesus for the first time. And what God is doing is providing a platform for you through baseball to share his love with people who hurt. Rennell, that moment that I fell to the ground and I was laying there after I caught my breath because Will stood over me and was encouraging me to breathe, Ooh. Mark Laton ran out and said, breathe, Dave, breathe. As I got my faculties back, all I could hear were Bob Nepper's words. Now, it would take a couple years before all of that would sink in. But in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, God, what are you up to in this story?
1: he had just said that to you hours earlier. Yeah. Come
0: on. Four or five hours earlier I heard those words. Yeah. And when I heard him, I thought, well, that's great, Bob, but I'm in the saddle, man. I'm, I'm I'm, loving this being being a ball player again, you know? Yeah.
1: You couldn't hear it in the way you needed to hear it. No. Until, until. you threw that pitch. Absolutely. To Tim Raines. Yeah. Wow. To Tim
0: Raines. And you know what's really cool? I've got complete closure in that game. Do you? Yes. Because 25 years later, the man... That asked the bat boy to give him the last pitch that I ever threw, sent that ball to me in December three years ago.
1: Just three years ago. Just
0: three years ago. He said, I have moved so much that I lost track of this. Because I was following your story and I went to the ball game and I got a ticket right next to the Expos dugout. And when you threw that pitch, the ball rolled in there. I knew the bat boy. I said, give me the ball. And he said, I held on to this all these years and I just found it. And he said, I know, I think you're ready for it now. So I wanted to send this as a gift to you. This is the last pitch you ever threw in your career. Fast forward. I am now at the 2016 All-Star Game. We're at the pool at the Hilton and we're just hanging out with some friends. And all of a sudden, in walks this man with his glasses on and a hat. Now, he's short enough to be Tim Raines, but I'm just not sure. And I looked at Jan and I said, you know, I think that's Tim, but I can't tell. He's wearing glasses, I don't know if it's him. And so, all of a sudden, Jan says, well, why don't you go over and say hello to him? Another one of those, go over and say hello to him. And I'm like, Jan, I don't want to bother <laughs> she him. She was always there to yeah, give you that, that nudge. A nudge. <laughs> I don't want to bother him. And so, I got up and I went over and I said, Tim? And he turned around and he kind of looked at me a little cautiously at first. But when I said my name, I said, Tim, Dave Dravecki. I just wanted to come over and say hello. He goes, oh my gosh, Dave.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: How are you doing? Wow. I said, Bud, you're not going to believe um, what has happened. And I told him about the baseball. And I said, now I'm meeting you, and I haven't seen you since that moment. I said, look, I'm, I'm not usually asking these kind of questions of celebrities, but can I have your picture? He looks at me. He starts laughing. I can't. Yes. Wow. I'll give you my picture. Absolutely. So his wife gets up, and she gets over, and she goes, oh, this is so cool. Dave, yes, Tim's going to take a picture with you. Tim, get over there. And all of a sudden, the twins come, and they jump in front of us. And she's like, no, no, okay. I said, no, it's okay. Well, they can be in the picture, too. So we take a picture, and then she says, girls, get out, get out, get out. And then she took a picture with me and Timmy. And so now I have the ball, and I have a picture with Tim. That our post career, that kind of bring full closure to that game in my story, and That's
1: remarkable. I am so
0: grateful for that. that is so grateful. Just remarkable. You know, I don't very often get a chance to share that story. So so thanks for for asking about well, thank it. Thank
1: you for I sharing really that story. That. It's, yeah. it's super. It's just super remarkable. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, overcoming the adversity of that journey. Yeah. Um, going through cancer twice and having to battle it twice and I know you've been very open about how difficult it was for you that you were depressed and you yeah. were you know you had a lot of anger issues and yeah. can you share that as you shared with so many which helped so many people around the world overcome mm-hmm. their own adversity so talk about that part of your journey
0: yeah that was an extremely difficult time in life you know um, uh, we were really at a, at a dark place um, we were
1: both you and Jan?
0: Both Jan and I and 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 for Jan um, it was much deeper because she was trying to now after I had to announce my retirement from the game and the cancer came back and we went through the process of all the surgeries um, trying to be everything to everybody when we retired um, we had in San Francisco our apartment had a single car garage and as a result of well-wishers and people praying for us and cards that were sent and letters that were sent, the entire single-car garage was full of mail. Mm. And we felt compelled to respond to all of it. And so a bunch of people stepped in to help. The Giants, um, an organization um, called Insight for Living that um, held all the serious suicidal counseling letters mm. that we received because people were just pouring out their hearts. It was overwhelming. And then publishers wanted us to write our story and we're in the midst of this and it's just coming at us and coming at us and coming at us. And so much of it was good, but we were, I was just not ready to handle that.
1: You couldn't even catch your breath. Physically, yet. yes. Yeah.
0: And Jan was trying to be everything to everybody and so it all kind of culminated with this amputation. And I thought if we could get rid of my arm, we could get rid of all my problems.
1: Mm, the arm that gave you your career the greatest in joy. your life.
0: Yeah. Was now gone, and I thought, "But if we can get rid of this, maybe I can get rid of all my problems." Mm. And that's when the, the darkest, of the darkness began because I went into an identity crisis. Who am I if I can no longer be a pitcher? What am I going to do as an amputee? Who's going to want me to be able to, um, work to provide a living? I didn't make the kind of money, that warranted us being able to r- retire and walk off into the sunset after this. So I had to work mm. to provide a living for our family. And so as a result of that, it became extremely difficult. And, and I had stuffed a lot Renell mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know how to articulate that. Right. And so as a man, I realized that if I showed any weakness, then I was done. Right. And so I had to be strong. And, and I actually found out that strength is really in weakness. And, um, but in order to get there, um, I had to get worse because I became verbally abusive mm. to the people that I love the most. Yeah. Um,
1: you didn't know what to do with your emotions.
0: I didn't know how to communicate what yeah. was going on. I didn't know how to articulate my pain. Jan was really good at that. I was horrible. And unfortunately the people I love the most, I was the hardest on. Of course. And you know, I don't say this as an excuse, but for me, they were safe. I understand. And yet, at the same time, that is no reason to ever treat a woman like that. To ever treat two little kids like that was horrible.
1: But it wasn't even really you. You know what I mean? Y- y-
0: yes. It wasn't you. Yes. Because it, it, it was the result of all this pain that I stuffed because I didn't know how to talk about that pain. And in the talking is the healing. And so... Um, Eventually, we finally moved to a place where I was willing to say to Jan, um, if you're struggling that much, I was still in denial right mm-hmm. now. If you're struggling that much, then I will support you and we'll go get counseling. Mm. And we moved into 18 months of counseling. We both got on Prozac. We call it vitamin P. Okay. And so it was an incredible tool in helping us to heal along with going into our story and finding those places that needed to be reworked Mm -hmm. because they were very unhealthy. For 18 months, the gift that God gave me was to actually learn how to communicate to the most amazing woman in my life.
1: That's one of the bravest things you can do is is go to therapy and figure it out.
0: And what I experienced, when people say and talk about God's grace, I actually experienced it firsthand through an amazing woman named Jan Rebecca.
1: That you did.
0: And so, as a result of that, when we were done with the counseling, we had moved to Colorado to get a fresh start. And while we were there, she had received a book that she was asked to endorse, dealing with men and their anger. How ironic <laughs> is that? Yes. And as a result of that, Renell she came to me and said. I would like for you to go to this counselor who specializes in anger. Mm. Are you willing to do that? And I was so healthy at that point. I said, honey, absolutely, I do not want to be this man anymore.
1: You had done the work, so you were, you were able to receive that from her.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so she gave me that gift, another gift. Yeah. And for 12 months, I went into anger management counseling. And it really wasn't anger management it was freedom from anger. Mm-hmm. It was freedom from anger because I, I think my wife would tell you today, it's been about 22 years since Mount Vesuvius erupted. Mm. And gosh, that feels good to say.
1: Yeah.
0: It really does. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we got on a healthy track, and it was so good. It was so freeing to be out from underneath all of that stuff. Yeah. It and, had weighed uh, you down. Yeah.
1: How could it not? Absolutely. It's way too much. And then you took all of that, all that work you did, and the two of you have been on this wonderful, remarkable crusade and journey to share your story with so many others and the lives that you have touched. Talk about you as a motivational speaker and an author now and how, how you two worked that into your lives.
0: Yeah, you know, it's been amazing. when When those people started writing to us, Little would we know or realize, along with Alex Valachos and his story, that that really was the birthing of what would become Endurance with Jan and Dave Drovecki. And it's the opportunity that we have been given through our pain and suffering to come alongside others who hurt and simply just to love them in the midst of that journey the way God would love them. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we, we often say we're the garbage dump. For people who are in the midst of pain. Right. Because we needed a garbage dump. Sure. I needed a garbage dump. And yeah. because I didn't have one, yeah. I ended up going through what I went through. So we saw the value of being able to dump stuff. So we let people dump. And then in the midst of their dumping, there's no judgment, there's no criticism, there's no condemnation, there's only love.
1: We all got stuff.
0: We all got stuff. And yeah. so what we have been able to do for 28 years is to just simply, through our story, come alongside people and love them in the midst of their pain and and we do that by offering the uh, what we call our encouragement gift box (laughs) that basically has our story in it um book form and we send those off with a couple of mugs that have endurance on it to remind them to endure the journey and that somebody else out there loves them even though they don't know them um speaking my gosh girl I'd have told you after five years of doing that that nobody else would want to hear my story anymore.
1: Are you kidding me? Please. And here
0: I am, 28 years. I might, My years might be messed up, and Jan obviously <laughs> reminds me that my details aren't very good. That's all right. But somewhere in that neighborhood, yeah. I have been telling the same story.
1: You've been telling the same story, but you never write a speech or a script. No. It always, so you're actually telling a different story every time, but you're it's right. coming from that same place.
0: Yeah, it's coming right from my heart. Yeah. If I did it with an outline, you wouldn't want me to speak.
1: It wouldn't have the same impact. No, no.
0: And you know, life experiences allow me to speak to different things every time I speak. Mm-hmm. But even more important than that, it's never about me when I go to speak, Renel. Of course. It's always about the people that I'm speaking with, of course. because it's their stories that I want to engage with. So whether it's a church or a corporation or a hospital or a nonprofit, anything in between that spectrum, it's always about understanding first and foremost, what do they need? And then through my story, I hopefully am able to offer that to encourage them in their story. And that's really all I have done over the last 27 or 28 years. And, and it has been an incredible gift to me and Jan to be able to do that. To think that I'm just one person in this universe of some pretty amazing people with amazing stories And I get the privilege of telling that story over and over and over again. That's why my message is don't ever deny the significance of your story, whether it's in front of 5,000 people or five people or just one. That story is powerful and it can make a difference in somebody's life who desperately needs it in that moment. And so that has just been one of the most amazing gifts that I've been given by God
1: It um, must be so rewarding and, and so fulfilling after after all that you have been through yeah. to be able to have that impact on, on other people you know Jackie Robinson is you know I idolize him of course and my favorite one of my favorite quotes of his is you know a life is not important but for the impact that it has on other lives yeah. and you have been living that every day
0: I just watched that um, watch the MLB piece on Jackie yeah um, I, I'm reading a book about Jackie right now. Um, I have so much admiration and respect for what he was able to do. Um, I really do believe that he was God's man for a very important moment in history. Oh, no question. That he would was literally chosen. change the course of history. He was
1: chosen. No question. And
0: um, yeah, what, he gave, what he gave to all of us was a gift I hope none of us ever forget. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's still a lot more work to be done
1: no question but he's about given it. us the gift yeah
0: and i think that is really powerful you know the other thing that that i'd like to just just say is when the giants offered me the opportunity to become a community ambassador they do not know what that meant for me and my family oh really it has been one of the most precious gifts that anyone can receive because what they allowed me to experience is to become a part of a family that I love with all my heart. Mm -hmm. And instead of it just being from the outside, now I get to experience it from the inside. So to you and to all the people that are a part of this, and anyone that listens to this, the San Francisco Giants are the most amazing organization in the world because I get to love on people like you. Mm and all the people that I meet through that organization, and be loved by you. Mm -hmm. And that gift we will never forget, never, because I hope the fans in this community realize, I think they do, just how special the orange and black are.
1: they they most certainly do and they so understand i hope you feel it whenever you're around us how much you mean to us and to the organization how about that when
0: i go to the ballpark (laughs) when i go into san francisco and all of a sudden i'm walking on the sidewalks and i hear (laughs) draveki i'm like oh my gosh man when i lived in colorado nobody said draveki was like buddy get out of the way you know so here i am in this incredible place where I will tell you, I'll be the honest, retired guy who says, it's wonderful to be remembered. There it is. It's wonderful to be remembered, but it is amazing to be a giant.
1: Well, thank you for this amazing conversation, and just bless you and Jan, and mm. all my best to you and the family, and thank you for the gift that you've given so many of us, and thank you for your time today. As a oh. matter of fact, I have something for you and Jan.
0: Well, before you do that, yes, oh. we need to cap this off with one of these.
1: I'll drink to that, Dave Drovecki. <laughs> Thank you so Here's much. Here's to Renell Here's to Dave. Thank you so much for this. Uh. It's this been wonderful. Cheers, everyone.
0: Mm.